going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to dive into another Q&A style episode. I actually haven't done a Q&A in a while. I've still been doing them on my stories every week, but I have not done, it looks like, a Q&A in, uh, man, over a month or so now. So we're, we're long overdue. Again, thank you to everybody who asks questions on my Instagram every week. These were taken from there. Uh, I've, I've already a- answered a handful of these on my uh, story this last week, but there is a, again, a lot of really good ones and stuff that we can talk about today that I can give a little bit more context on and, and ramble on a little bit more. So the first question is, what does grade mean on an egg carton and all the other labels? So if you've ever bought an eggs before, you, you probably realize that there is a shit ton of, of, marketing on those labels themselves and there can be a ton of information on the front part but then also on the back part where you know the ingredients are not the ingredients but just like the uh the label nutrition fact label uh man a lot of these egg carton kind of uh containers bins now they just have labels thrown all over them and i get it like it can be it can be really confusing but there's uh there's a handful of things that you will likely see on um, every single uh, egg carton, unless you're getting it like from your fucking neighbor or somebody who has chickens and they give you their eggs, you know, and you, you just kind of collect them that way. If that's you, I'm jealous. I wish we had that resource, but man, we got to buy our eggs. And, uh, to answer your question about the grade in particular, the USDA grade that you see on all, uh, egg cartons, essentially just indicate the quality of the eggs based on things like um, shell integrity, the uh, thickness of the egg whites, of the yolk on the inside. It's kind of just like a quality check for the egg in particular. And there's uh, three different grades, I believe. There's double A, single A, and B. So A, A, B, sorry, A, 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 and B. Um, Double A essentially, you know, being eggs that have... Um, thicker whites, thicker yolks, um, grade B offering the thinnest of those compared to the two or the three, whatever we're comparing here. So the grade is just more of like, hey, what is the quality of the the egg? Um, but there's also things like size, which is, of course, indicates the size of the egg. But that's usually uh, usually indicative of like total weight of that egg. So a lot of times you might see like, uh, uh, extra large eggs with grade double A quality, you know, the, the extra large eggs with the higher, uh, uh, higher quality, nutritional quality in them, they're going to weigh more. They're going to be heavier than maybe a grade B with uh, a medium size egg. Okay. So again, eggs are kind of just, uh, differentiated to like extra large, large, medium size. Um, I think sometimes you'll see like jumbo on there as well. Um, but, just know that that's usually based on weight and nothing else necessarily, okay? Just more so the size of the eggs. And um, for example, like a jumbo egg might have closer to 75, 80, 90 calories compared to a medium or a large egg that might be closer to 70 or 65 calories. So it can make a small difference in terms of like calorie content and how much nutrition you get per egg, depending on the size of them. But Yes, grades and size uh, sizes of the eggs are going to be uh, something you see on almost every single label that you're that you're looking at, and then from there, there's going to be a laundry list of different, um, a lot of times like marketing uh, types of labels, uh, things advertising what those eggs have or um, what they are, how the chickens were, you know. Uh, uh, taking care of what their feed was like, all things that relate to the chicken themselves that are laying those eggs. For example, you'll see things like cage-free or free-range or uh, pasture-raised, uh, pasture-raised, sorry, um, or even like certified humane. Just like kind of how the chickens lived and how they were treated. So, cage-free essentially just meaning like, hey, these chickens lived in like a large living space in like a barn or something. Maybe it was enclosed, but they weren't like just packed into little cages. Now, if you've seen any like 
uh, fear mongering like Netflix documentary on like chicken and, 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 uh, some of these like farming practices, there's some scary shit out there. And that's the reality, you know, that, that some of these farming, um, practices are being used for and, and agriculture and, uh, where these chickens are, are being raised and how they're used and the living environments that they have. Um, and yeah, for sure. That could be a very, honestly, like a very, um, um, alarming, you know, kind of, uh, uh, visual to see. And, and sometimes like seeing those things, hearing about those things can be the impetus for people to start to look for different sources of eggs, right? Like starting to care maybe a little bit more about where they're buying or what they're buying and cage free just being an example of like chickens who, yeah, again, maybe they've been in a barn or maybe they're out in the field. Like that can be classified as cage free too, but they're not just like trapped in a cage and just packed in there together. So, um, free range being a little different than cage free in the sense that free range kind of have more access to like the outdoors. You can kind of see them just like, you know, chilling in like a field or something, or, uh, they just, uh, have access to the outdoors alongside being inside or inside a barn. So those are, uh, those are the subtle differences between like a cage free and like a free range when you're shopping and looking for, you know, some of these different types of eggs and what they're advertising. Um, you know, it doesn't say much still about the uh, living conditions of the chickens per se, but you know, you can count on, Hey, a, a a free range chicken will have access to, you know, more than the barn or can like kind of travel in and out, uh, go outside, uh, more frequently, things like that. Now compared to a pasture raised, I know we're kind of getting into all of these things, but the pasture raised chickens are, those are usually the ones that can free, um, just roam, roam around outside. They kind of just like eat food on the pasture wherever they're being raised. And they, uh, they just have more freedom than free range and cage free. Uh, those types of chicken usually are are raised on like small farms and different things, um, you know, different things like that. Maybe there's not as many chickens on this thing. They're not like this chicken factory where they just have, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of chickens here. Uh, and they're all just like crammed together. Like usually the pasture raised chickens, like, yeah, they just have uh, more free living corridors and uh, can can tend to have more access and are are a little bit um, less restraint, right? Not in a cage, not in a barn, not traps, not limited to going in in and out or whatever the case may be. So those are usually the conditions in which these chickens are being um, raised in and how they are uh, keeping the chickens. Now there's other things out there, um, stuff that you might see on a label, things like, like omega-3 enriched or vitamin D enriched, uh, vegetarian fed, even kosher, um, um, non-GMO, like a lot of these buzzwords have more to do with the feed or what the, the diet was like of the chickens that, uh, were producing these eggs. So, um, if you imagine, Hey, this is omega-3 enriched. You can count on the fact that the hens and, and the, you know, the chickens that were being used, they had a diet that was fortified or enriched with omega-3 fatty acids. Uh, maybe they had things like, um, flax seeds or fish oil, and, and those would increase the omega-3 content in their diet, therefore increase the omega-3 content in the eggs that they are producing. Um, same with like vegetarian feeds, those hens, like they don't have, uh, like animal products or byproducts within their food. And, um, yeah, I think, man, this is testing my knowledge here. I don't, I think chickens are normally omnivores, um, meaning they like, they have a, a combination of like plant and animal sources that they consume. And I, I don't think that chickens are necessarily like vegetarians at heart. So I, I don't know, you might have to fact check me on that, but just an example of like, Hey, there's chickens out there that are like fed a vegetarian blend and therefore they can advertise that their product is like a vegetarian fed egg or chicken that has these eggs that you could eat. Um, and people, as you can imagine, who are more plant-based, uh, vegans, vegetarians, those are the people that might gravitate towards those types of eggs if they are, I say vegans eating eggs, but you know, if, if you are a vegetarian eating an egg, like those are some of the things that people might be looking out for. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, 
in general, like that's kind of the basis of like uh, egg carton 101. Like there's a lot of different labels. A lot of it has to do with the grade, the size of them. You'll see on all of them. And then the living conditions that the, the hens were in, the free-range, cage-free, pasture-raised, um, those different type of living conditions. And then like the types of feed that they were fed, organic, uh, omega-3, vegetarian-fed, uh, kosher, non-GMO, like a lot of those things that you see advertised on an egg label um, starts with the feed that the chickens are eating themselves and then the eggs that they produce and then therefore they can charge more for... Um, or charge more, just, you know, you'll advertise that on the label for the eggs themselves. Now, what does this mean for you as the consumer? Like, should you be looking for grade double A, uh, jumbo eggs that are organic, that are pasture raised, that are omega-3 enriched? Like, man, there is a chance that maybe those eggs are more nutrient dense than maybe the more uh, conventional, traditional, like store brand eggs uh, that don't all have all those fancy labels on them. There's a chance, okay? But I want you to know that eggs are one of the most nutritionally dense sources of foods, proteins that we have that exist today from a micronutrient standpoint, from a protein standpoint. It has some fat. All around, it's a very good food and it's something that people can eat and they can eat consistently. And where this gets tricky is for me is where uh, when people are demonizing or talking shit about uh, certain size eggs or quality of eggs and they're just like, oh, you know what? You know, like if it's not grade double A and they're not extra large eggs and they're not omega-3 enriched, then they're fucking bullshit. And my response to that would be that's bullshit too because in all reality, eggs can and should be an affordable source of high quality protein that can feed families Um that again can be reasonably priced for the average consumer. And, you know, in today's day and age, like I don't know about you guys, but like eggs are up like 50% in, in a lot of grocery stores right now, along with a lot of other foods. And man, if you have a mom of two who's trying to feed her husband and two kids and is taking care of her dad and her house, you know, and she's trying to buy consciously and and money is is uh something that they have to think about every time they budget, every time they go shopping man, you know, them buying the pasture-raised uh, uh, non-GMO eggs at $9.99 for 12 eggs probably isn't going to be the most bang for your buck or your best bet compared to the two dozen eggs that she could get for $6.99 or $8.99 or whatever they're selling for right now. So chances are... Um, for me, I can't sit here and say, hey, you know, you you should and you have to buy the best and highest quality eggs because you're going to get a lot of really good nutrients from those eggs themselves and whatever you can afford. And if eggs are something that you enjoy or you can make or you do somewhat frequently, uh, I don't want you to be afraid if you're buying the normal eggs that are, you know, $2.99 for a dozen compared to the ones that are $8.99 plus. Like that's just not something that is... Uh, uh, worthwhile for a lot of people. And, and if we're being real in the economy and in the food environment and the situations that we find ourselves in, a majority of the public who are searching and shopping for these things are going to be more mindful of like, how much can I spend? Can I get these? What's the biggest bang for my buck? And quite frankly, I'd rather have somebody get two dozen eggs for the price of one dozen egg uh, um, with all of these extra add-ons and things. Now, this isn't to say that if you care about these things, if, if you're somebody here and you like, you care about um, how the chickens were raised, right? Or the farming conditions and what's in your eggs and you have the resources to spend more money on some of these things, man, by all means, it's similar maybe to the organic conversation, right? Like you get organic produce and fruits and vegetables and whatever else. Um, just because they're organic does not mean they are nutritionally superior to the conventional types of fruits and veggies and, and frozen and, and all these things that are out there as well. Um, but man, if, if you're somebody that sits here and you can afford that and you like to do that and you feel better doing that, um, and this is an opportunity for you to pay for products that maybe have more of a humane kind of, or, um, you know, a better environment in which they're raising their hands and all of these things, man, by all means, if that's the way you show your support, you feel good and you can do that. That's what I would want for you as well. So there's no right answer. Not everybody should be eating the same, uh, you know, same egg or there's just, there's just different contexts in which we need to acknowledge when it comes to recommending egg sources. Now, as I say, all of these things, I realize that 
literally this first question only asked what does the grade mean on an egg carton? So I, uh, I got a little carried away there, but I, there's a lot of label um, kind of confusion that can come from looking at things like eggs, right? And, and I just wanted to clear up any confusion or just help, I don't know, paint this picture of, of what can go into the marketing behind uh, a label. And again, this isn't just exclusive to eggs by any means, but egg is a good example because there's a lot of different things that companies and people can advertise or practice when cultivating those eggs and, and, and putting them on the shelves for the consumers to buy. And then, you know, you as a consumer reading those labels and deciphering like what, what's going to fit my budget, my uh, nutrition preferences, like what, uh, what's going to be conducive to my life and what am I going to feel good buying? All of those things kind of go hand in hand if we're being honest. So Hopefully that answered that question. I know it was a little long, but I thought uh, I thought there's a lot of good information that we could um, talk about from going into those labels. Anyway, let's go to the next question. The next one is thoughts on people saying salad dressings cancel out benefits of eating salad. To be frank here, that is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Full stop. Like people out there that you hear saying might as well not even eat a salad because the dressing or the ranch or the French dressing or whatever you're putting on that is ruining it or it's making a high calorie, um, like higher calorie food now, man, you need to ignore those people and, and, and stop listening to them if you are right now. So to put, to put it in the nicest way possible, man, you need to avoid those people at all costs. And the rationale that I have, I'll, I'll add some context to this answer as well, but the rationale that I usually see this um, uh, are just kind of like how people arrive to some of these conclusions and how they ask some of these questions is, is like there's, there's so much information out there and there's so many different opinions on what it means to be healthy or what you should or shouldn't be eating and, you know, the, the ingredients and the seed oils and the salad, you know, and, and it's just, it's doing more harm than good, man. If we look at it, like, People are demonizing eating vegetables is really what this is, right? And we just have to stop shitting on salad dressing if that's something that's helping people eat more vegetables, okay? Um, you know, if, if a little bit of fat or sugar or flavor or, God forbid, an artificial sweetener helps somebody eat a bowl of veggies, that is a nutrition win, Okay, full stop. We need to appreciate that. And the people just, you know, out there blindly saying that salad dressing is the problem, like those people are probably the problem. Okay. And those are the people that you probably shouldn't be getting your, you know, nutrition advice from. Now, if we if we actually look at vegetable consumption, how much fiber people eat, the average American eats like 10 to 15 grams of fiber a day, which is fucking nothing, okay? Like women should be getting close to that 25 grams a day, men upwards of 38 to more grams of fiber per day. And we aren't even close to that, okay? And this is, uh, for a lot of people, a realistic way, whether they're eating away from home or they're getting bag salad kits or they're making their own salads at home, like a salad and adding veggies or just eating lettuce and having some cheese on it and then some tomatoes or whatever they put in it, like that, that can be a really good way to help people increase their fiber consumption, okay? Could be a way for people to get more higher volume foods in, even though they are having dressing that comes with extra calories as well. Not all of them, but some of them. And I, I just, I can't help but think that that is going to be a win in most scenarios, okay? Now, of course, of course, if we take a step back and we look at the spectrum of salad dressing in general, like, like on one end, there's gonna be, you know, salad dressings that are 200 calories per every two tablespoons per serving. And then there's going to be salad dressings that are zero calories, right? So there's a spectrum of that. Not to mention the other things that can come on salads, right? Like if you're somebody sitting here and you're ordering a Cobb salad with a ton of ranch and bacon and cheese and shit ton of some of these other things and you eat a salad that's 1,200 calories, right? That um, you think is healthier than like a burger or something there, but you're actually getting 400 more calories. Like, yeah, those are conversations that we need to have and we can build on, Um but that, that isn't a reason to always veer away from eating a salad, right? Again, there's a spectrum in which we can kind of talk about these things. And 
I would say in general, adding a salad, whether it's one a day or a few per week or making it a priority to eat salad when you go out to dinner, right? Like those are all things that one, can increase your fiber consumption and two, potentially help you from overeating on other foods when you are, you know, having meals or having food um, away from home. For example, right? Like a, a hack that a lot of people can use when they're going out to restaurants, which restaurants being, you know, notoriously guilty of giving uh, large portions um, adding a ton of sauces and condiments and butters and oils into their cooking process, making it more calorie dense. And, you know, in general, just, just having a ton of higher calorie foods on their menu because they want their food to taste really delicious. And when people find themselves in positions where they're eating away from home, right, they're getting pizza and wings or they're going to whatever dinner spot and they're getting the appetizers, the meal, and then a dessert. Like it's not uncommon for people to have um, you know, 12 to 2000 or more calories from, you know, not even including alcohol in this estimation, um, from the food that they eat. Right. And a lot of times like they aren't usually, you know, uh, super nutrient dense, you know, maybe they're not getting a ton of, uh, plant material, a ton of fiber. Um, and man, I can't help but think for a lot of people going to a restaurant and eating in these scenarios, which again, if we're being real like that, those occasions are not going away. But man, you can't tell me, you know, if somebody were to order a side salad before their meal so that one, they're filling up on a little bit of fiber, some volume before they get their meal, even if it comes with blue cheese or ranch or balsamic or whatever kind of uh, dressing on it, having that before their meal does a couple things. Makes you more, uh, uh, um, unlikely to overeat on that meal because one, you might not be starving going into that entree anymore where you're just inhaling all the bread and all the meal and everything in sight. Um, to again, like give you a little bit more volume, help you get another vegetable at a meal when maybe you wouldn't order a vegetable or maybe your meal didn't come with a vegetable in the first place. Um, and two, it could be, again, for some people, a substitute where, hey, I'm going to get a side salad instead, instead of the two cups of rice pilaf or rice or, or pasta side. Um, and you getting a 350 you know, calorie salad could save you from eating 300, 400 more calories on the back end because you're not eating uh, all of that, that side that you would have or you're not getting that other side that might be more calorie, might be uh, more energy dense, right? Um, and help you stay more fuller. Maybe you're not getting a dessert. Maybe you're ordering one less drink with dinner, right? Like a lot of these scenarios in which a salad can make sense and can actually help you from overeating or help control some of your hunger cues and get more fucking fiber in at the end of the day. Um, again, even if it comes with a 200 calorie dressing in one of those little ranch cups, you know, like give me that every day of the week because chances are that is likely somebody that's going likely something that's going to help somebody. And it could be a good strategy for people to lean on when they are ordering away from home and, and kind of uh, just being mindful of their health, their uh, their calorie intake, what type of nutrients they're getting uh, at the meals away from home. Um, and not to just only make this related to eating away from home. Like same goes for you eating at home uh, with your spouse or by yourself. Like if you getting a salad kit and you use some of that dressing and you dress up a salad and you have that with your protein or, uh, you know, whatever dinner that you get for the night, like that could be a really good starting point too. So again, sorry for the long winded tangent here, but man, huh, the people out there saying that salad dressings always just cancel out, uh, uh, what nutrition that salad could give you in the first place. It's just, it's just dumb as fuck. It's ignorant. And, um, it's that black or white way of thinking that can really make this whole health and fitness pursuit a lot harder than it needs to be. Okay. Um, so if you're somebody sitting here and you're worried about getting ranch with your fucking salad tomorrow night and you're going out and that's just a vegetable that you can get while you hang out and, and eat, you know, whatever else you're eating for the night, man, like for a lot of people that can be a win that they can take away from the night that maybe they haven't done in the past. That could be a good positive behavior change when they do uh, go out to eat and they make that a priority to get some of those things. So, um, 
long-winded way of saying eat the salad dressing right now again like yeah maybe maybe there are times where having a higher calorie or lower calorie dressing might be more beneficial and uh, those are some of the nuances that again apply to yourself and that that you can start to have the conversations around but man if somebody's sitting here afraid to eat a salad in the first place please rest assured you are doing really good things and uh, eating a salad with some dressing on it is probably uh, one of the better things that you could do when it comes to um, eating more plants, eating some more, um, you know, nutritious foods, having just a little bit more fiber. That could be an underrated way that maybe could be an easy hack for you to do um, to make a big difference throughout the course of the week. So good question there. Hopefully that all makes sense. All right. Next question was, what is a good cognitive warmup? Uh, this is, this was a really interesting one. Made me think really hard. It's still making me think. Uh, and I, I think this question was being asked in the context of, um, cause the, I, I saw the person's name and I, I think this person is an athlete. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing this lady is asking what's a good cognitive warmup in the context of like getting ready for my sport or competition or practice or game, whatever, whatever that case scenario is. And I don't think that this has to be, uh, only related to that type of scenario. I think this could be related to any type of scenario, whether work or, um, you know, you're in school and you're taking an exam or, uh, you're getting ready for a big meeting and you're trying to get a promotion or, you know, you have a big zoom call or you're doing a merger or like whatever it is, you know, like there's a lot of scenarios and, our normal lives, especially as adults that, you know, you needing to be mentally fit, mentally focused going into this scenario that can be beneficial. We want to stay, you know, we want to stay in our toes and be grounded at the same time. So, um, I'm going to kind of speak to, to, uh, what I think about this subject. I am by no means, uh, like a, like a, a neuroscientist or anything. Um, I can speak on my past experiences and stuff that, uh, I, have done with clients, but also have seen, um, maybe in some of the literature that can help people. And, um, what I will say is this is always going to depend on you and your preferences and what can get you fired up. And you know, what's best for you at the end of the day. Okay. It's, 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 uh, it's my job to maybe point you in a different direction or to, to bring up some different points of view that maybe you haven't thought about before, but it's your job to implement trial and error and come to a place where you feel good and you found a routine or something that you can you can dig and, and you can get into relatively quickly and you can lean on that before you have your competitions or whatever it is. Now, what comes to mind for me are things that can kind of get you like mentally focused, um, kind of in the zone. Um, for me, things that always come to mind is listening to music. I know everyone can kind of resonate uh, with that sentiment. You know, music is... Uh, it's an, it's an important part of my life. I know it's an important part of a lot of people's lives, but man, the type of music, the genre, the words, like the, um, uh, the emotions, the memories you have listening to certain songs, like, man, you'd be surprised when you, you, you make a killer playlist and you, you know, play it in the gym, like, man, it, it, it can make you feel a type of way. And that could be one thing that, Hey, you hear your favorite song or a few of your favorite songs in rotation, you driving to your event or listening to your headphones and, and doing warm ups, or you're driving to work and you're listening to some of your favorite songs. Like you bet your ass that that can get you in a good headspace to feel confident and motivated. And, um, I don't know, sometimes songs can make people feel seen. And I, I think, um, uh, you know, Taylor Swift is this huge, uh, uh, man, just the, the topic of conversation for a lot of people. And, uh, when I talked to my wife about it, I was like, why I, I personally, you know, I don't resonate with their music. I don't listen to it. Um, but I, I, a lot of people do, right. Especially girls, young girls, um, millennials, like even older people, man, all, everyone loves Taylor Swift. And I, I asked my wife, I'm like, like, what do you, what's the hype around it? Not in like a weird, like disrespectful way or anything, but I'm just curious of like what, you know, what that person might see that I might not. Um, and you know, her response was like, you know, she's, uh, she's made girls feel seen. She tells stories in her songs that are really relatable to other people. Uh, and, and she's just done a good job connecting with her fans, with her audience. And, um, 
Um, a lot of people really connect with that. So some people turn on a Taylor Swift red album or whatever, and they're in the zone and that, that gets them fired up and in, in, in the right headspace or other people might need to listen to classical rock or uh, EDM like dance music or me, I, I'm in more of the hip hop rap kind of scene. Um, but picking your favorite songs, having a playlist, if you don't have one already, most people do, but just like updating that constantly refreshing it adding subtracting things things that you feel good listening to in the moment i think that could be a really powerful thing if you aren't doing it already but that's usually something that can get you excited or mentally prepared for the task at hand okay um on the other side of that extreme too we have things like deep breathing or even meditation or breath work all things that can maybe put you a little bit more in a relaxed state you know, and I, I say this and people are like, oh, all right, deep breathing and meditation, you fucking granola woo woo ass person. Like, no, that, I, I can see how, how, uh, I can be portrayed as that person talking about some of these things, but man, don't knock it until you try it and you bet your ass it works. Okay. Like you sitting down, maybe doing a guided meditation. There's a few apps, headspace or calm are really good apps. You can download them for free. Of course they have premium plans, but, um, you could get the free version. And that can get the job done, like doing some guided meditation, put, putting you in a position where um, you're feeling grounded, you're kind of connecting with yourself, you're taking time for yourself, right? And you're not uh, feeling distracted. Man, that's something that you bet your ass can help with concentration when you eventually get to the sport or the activity or the meeting or the conversation that you're having. Um, there's, uh, there's a really, uh, it was a cool story I saw there's uh, I like college football. There's uh, the Michigan quarterback. I forget his name. I think it's JJ McCarthy or, um, for all the college football fans. Sorry if, if I butchered that, but, um, there was a special, like every time he played in the national anthem or in the semifinals or in the, um, conference championship, like they would always show him, he would be the type of person that would go walk barefoot on the grass and he'd walk to like the goalposts and he'd sit down and he'd do a get like a guided meditation course and he'd do breath work and he'd um, just really just chill out and be connected and, and just kind of live in the moment. And that was his pregame routine. Right. Um, and that that is really cool. You know, I, I thought that that is a good um, a, a good example to a lot of athletes, whether you're, you know, just starting off your youth sports or at a high school level or your collegiate athlete, pro athlete, semi-pro recreational, whatever the fuck it is, man. Like there's, there's a lot of really good ways to concentrate and to connect with yourself. And I think deep breathing and meditation can be, man, good resources to do if you don't do it already. Um, something along those lines, uh, something that I've done in the past is, uh, uh visualization and just like, uh, mentally walking through, how you want things to go, like almost foreseeing what you want to happen, like thinking uh, and, and manifesting what you want to happen, you scoring a goal, you uh, being controlled, you hitting the last shot, um, you know, you being uh, mentally focused and conditioned throughout, you acting out like, hey, you're in the car, I'm going to work, and how do I want my day? Maybe you're not listening to music, but you're just sitting there in silence, visualizing like, okay, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do my sets. I'm going to get one rep better this week than I did last week in all my sets. Um, I'm going to go home. I'm going to eat my uh, post-workout meal. I'm going to hydrate. I'm going to uh, get to work. I'm going to take the kid to school. Then I'm going to come home and do X, Y, and Z, right? And then you just slowly walking out what the day looks like. Like that could be a really powerful um strategy that I've found has worked for me has worked for other people too, but just this uh, power of visualization, uh, could be a really, uh, a really underrated hack for you to just start thinking about. And, and chances are, man, like some of those things can and will happen because you're more likely to be in that headspace when those opportunities present themselves, or you're more likely to make those decisions because one, you've told yourself you're going to make those decisions earlier on in the day. And sometimes it can e be easier to follow through with those things because you know that, hey, there's an outcome that, uh, you know, uh, I'm desiring uh, and what I'm looking for by doing these actions. And these are the, going to be the things that get me uh, in a better opportunity to actually reach those outcomes or those goals and, and those things that I'm working for. So, um, yeah, visualization, deep breathing, meditation, man, like just sitting with yourself, sitting in silence, like uh, not always feeling like you need to be doing something can be... <laughs> I think one of the more underrated things that you could do uh, when mentally warming up for something. Um, one of the last things that I will say about this before I run out of ideas is um, 
really auditing and checking in with yourself uh, around the words that you're using to describe whatever it is that you're doing. You know, a lot of times when we're in these situations, depending on the the thing, like you doing a preseason game is probably going to feel different than you in a uh, state final championship volleyball game, right? Or in a, a, a city league volleyball match, right? Like whatever whatever applies to you in your scenario. I laugh because that's me. Um, I'm one of those uh, intramural volleyball guys uh, in the city right now. Our team's undefeated. No big deal. But anyway, um, you know, somebody somebody sitting there and mentally getting ready or going into the meeting or talking and having a hard conversation with their spouse or, or, uh, even man for podcasters or content creators, like putting themselves out there. Like there's a lot of scenarios in which these things can work, but really checking in and seeing what, um, man, what verbiage you're using, like what, how you're describing what you're feeling and telling yourself things like, um, I'm excited to do X, Y, and Z, or um, I'm pumped for the opportunity uh, to do whatever it is that you've got going on instead of thinking, oh, fuck, I'm really nervous, or God forbid you're catastrophizing like what could go wrong with whatever the scenario it is that you're playing out in your head, but really being mindful and intentional with the words that you're telling yourself and how you're describing those experiences one can maybe settle the nerves a little bit, but it can it can maybe bring you and, and help you rise to the occasion instead of just like um, being afraid to fuck up. Okay, I, I just I don't want people in that headspace before they go into a practice or a game or a situation where there's a lot on on the line, right? And you have to be performing at a, a high physical capacity, but a, a high mental capacity as well. And really being kind to yourself, really using words that are intelligently placed. Like I'm excited. I'm I'm proud of myself for being in this position. Um, I can't wait to support my teammates in X, Y, and Z ways. Like, like really using positive words of affirmation in that mindset, I think can do uh, a lot of wonders, uh, for people. So with all that being said, that's, that's uh, a starting place that I would point this person to start to think about, um, if it were myself and, and even just for how I approach things, what I decide to do, Again, this is all going to be individualized to the person at hand, right? And I, uh, I encourage you to try some of these things and do a little bit of trial and error and you decide what is, I don't know, what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And don't be afraid to change that over time. If something hasn't been working or if you find something that's working and you want to add to it a little bit more, man, you might find that, hey, you know, 30 minutes, 60 minutes before, or if when I drive to my event, I listen to my music in my car. And then when I get to the, the event or whatever, I sit in my car and I spend 10 minutes because um, I left a little bit early. I want to spend 10 minutes in the parking lot doing a meditation, doing some deep breathing, doing some visualization, talking about how things are going to uh, play out in my head before they actually happen. Um, man, even like talking to other people or your parents or having a, another accountability source to be able to bounce ideas off of or somebody that can hype you up, man, there's just, there's an infinite amount of ways to approach this. But when it comes to like a good cognitive warm up, it's just the answer comes back to like, what do you resonate with? What have you tried and have not tried? And then how can we do things that are working or getting you to a place where you feel mentally ready to handle whatever it is, uh, the task at hand. Okay. Amazing. That, was that was a good question yeah it uh, makes me think a lot but uh, definitely something that I, I thought was worth talking about on here holy shit I am uh, only three questions in here and there is a lot of time that's passed but it is what it is I got a handful more um, I'll try and answer them a little bit quicker is there a benefit to supplements like bloom or ag1 if I really don't eat enough vegetables Yes, of course there is. Okay. It's like a multivitamin, maybe has some fiber, maybe has some prebiotics. Um, you know, I have to say, and I'm going to say that it is not the same as eating actual veggies. Okay. Like, like no amount of greens powders can make up for you not actually eating any type of uh, fruit or vegetable throughout the day, mostly vegetables. People kind of skip on veggies. Um, you know, going back to like, Hey, what, what does the average American eat? Man, they eat less than 15 grams of fiber a day, you know? And, and of course you're missing out on a lot of micronutrients. You're missing out on a lot of, um, fiber when you're not eating fruits and vegetables. So greens powders, if you can afford them and you like them and it again, helps you start your day or you can get more water drinking them and you enjoy it and you actually hate vegetables and you're never going to eat them. Like, of course that's better than doing nothing at all for sure. Um, but Please, 
for the love of God, just try and get some fruits and some grains or some legumes or some other types of fiber. If you're not eating vegetables, like fiber doesn't only have to come from veggies alone. Okay. And there's a lot of nutrients. There's a lot of fiber, a lot of good things that can come from other foods instead of you just trying to rely on just drinking a greens powder and thinking you're going to be healthy as fuck. All right. It's like you putting a bandaid on a big ass crack in the fucking concrete. It's just, uh, it's just not going to do much if, uh, none, nothing else is, uh, in place. Okay. Awesome. The next question is thoughts on an element packet mid afternoon as a pick me up at work. Yeah, this is uh, this is something that I've been uh, kind of high on lately, and um, for a good reason. You know, I th- I think uh, the whole uh, element packets, the liquid IVs, uh, the noon electrolyte tabs, even the electrolyte drinks, man, they've they've kind of made their way into the health and fitness space. And I think they've become more popular because there's a lot of um, quote unquote credentialed people advertising them, uh, a lot of influencers advertising them. A lot of non-science based, non-nutrition related uh, influencers also advertising them. Like kudos to Element and all these other electrolytes uh, companies marketing teams because they've been doing a damn good job. And I I really, when I answer this question, my gut instinct is to say that no, most people do not need the electrolyte tabs, right? There's like a there's a really popular uh, tweet that's been out uh, or like a post that I've seen that I know a lot of people have seen. And it's just like listing every scenario where it's like, have headaches, question mark, drink more or have more salt. Um, fatigued and tired, have more salt. Um, not recovering, have more salt. Feeling good, have more salt. Uh, and it's just like a laundry list of things. And it's just like, oh, salt is the answer to that is essentially what that, that, uh, that person was saying. And man, that's just the most, to me, like, uh, man, uh, ignorant type of statement that somebody could make, especially when we talk about America, man, like, like the average consumer, I think has upwards of like 35 to 4,000 milligrams of sodium a day in, in the traditional like Western diet. Okay. Like most people don't need to be sitting here guzzling fucking salt water every single day. And it's just, uh, it, it's not something that I can sit here and blindly endorse. And I, it pisses me off when people blindly endorse them and, and, and prescribe that as like an end all be all or something that every single person can benefit from. This is really not the case. Okay. Um, the majority of foods, the majority of the, the diets that people are eating, man, you eating out, you know, a few times a week, uh, multiple times a week, like you're getting plenty of salt in your diet, let alone, yeah, more processed foods, more stuff that people are, are cooking at home, adding some salt to their meals. Like chances are you don't need more salt. Okay. Um, scenarios where I think some of these electrolyte tablets can have some utility and do have some utility are things like people who are sweating a lot, doing a ton of, uh, and I say a ton, but like a decent amount of like higher intensity cardio or uh, hit training or different types of workouts where they're getting the heart rate up and they're sweating a lot. Uh, maybe you're like getting in the sauna a ton and, uh, or maybe you just live in like the South in the summer and, and it's just a hot as shit and you're just sweating all the time. Right. Um, athletes out there who are training like for more than 60 minutes at a time, especially endurance athletes or athletes who are doing like double days. Um, man, uh, all the people out there, uh, playing pickleball, I, I laugh cause, uh, that's myself. At, <laughs> that's myself at some level. I, I love the sport too, but man, I, I know pickleball players that will go out and play four hours straight and they'll be just tired, exhausted, dripping sweat afterwards. Like that person could probably have, uh, a, an element packet and that would likely help them because they're replenishing a lot of the electrolytes that they're losing from sweat. Um, Man, I would even add this in the context of, because there are a, uh, a handful of people, like a, a subset of the population who are my quote unquote clean eaters, or uh, they make all their meals at home and they're really mindful of salt and what processed foods they get. Um, and they're really dialed into how much they're eating and what they're eating and what their macros are. And then they maybe gravitate more towards a low sodium diet. Like there, there are instances where I would argue that that person actually needs more salt in their diet and maybe like an element packet or salting their meals more could be warranted to help them feel a little bit better. Or or in this case, be like an afternoon picking up, pick me up. But damn, man, there's just, uh, there's people out there that 
think drinking fucking salt water every day is the key to optimal health. And that's just majoring in the minors. And uh, to, to really circle back to answer this question, I promise I haven't uh, forgot about it. I'm, I know I'm dancing around it. If you can sit here and be, you know, uh, kind of honest with yourself and, and, and say, hey, like, what does the totality of my diet look like? Like, why am I fucking exhausted in the mid afternoon at work? Like, am I eating enough? Am I eating like way too much at lunch and having this like post uh, lunch crash? Cause I ate a ton of calories. And I went out to dinner or uh, went out to lunch that day. Um, you know, maybe it comes from a, you fucking hate your job and, and like, it, you know, you just don't get excited to be there. And that's one of the things that's like feeding into this, like fatigue or just lack of motivation, especially come mid afternoon when it's like dragging on throughout the course of the day. Um, are you hydrating enough? Are you having enough nutrients? Like, are you eating enough calories throughout the course of the day? Are you exercising? Are you super, you know, super sedentary? Do you ever get up throughout the course of the day? Are you just stuck to a seat all day? Like, I don't know. Like if, if we compare like getting an element packet to coffee in the afternoon, a thousand percent, I'd probably say, yeah, like the element packet would probably be better than a caffeine or a five hour energy or bang energy drink or scoop a pre-workout um, at two or 3 PM and then have that fuck up your sleep for the night and then have that be the thing that's, that's uh, making you tired and groggy in the morning, in the mid afternoon and feeling like you need more caffeine to just make it through your day. Um, yeah. I, I, just mentioned sleep there, but like, are you sleeping at all? Like that could be one of the, the things where it's like, Hey, maybe we work on your sleep hygiene and, and you getting to bed earlier, you waking up a little bit earlier each day. So you're able to go to bed earlier. Or maybe you have a, a to-do list uh, before uh, you go in and get ready for bed and your screens off and you make your list for the next day and you're able to shut down for the night. And maybe you read a little bit, like whatever it is, maybe you're not point blank, you know, screen sucking on your phone. Um, and you actually can, can go to sleep at a reasonable time and you get enough quality deep in, in REM sleep. Like, man, that is going to be a bigger return on our investment over time than us just relying on like a salt packet, um, in the mid afternoon. So anyway, with all that being said, I, I just encourage whoever asked this, or if you're somebody who's sitting here and you're like, yeah, I, I love a liquid IV at 2 PM. It feels good. It's just something that makes me feel better. I look forward to it. Like, dude, by all means, like I, I think that that could be a real benefit. Um, but to sit here and, and, and have everybody just blindly endorse that everybody should be having more salt or drinking more salt water. I just, I just, I think that really misses the mark and it's not a fair, uh, blanket assumption that most people make, um, that again can confuse the consumer in, in all reality, like again, be a distraction from what are the actual root causes of why you feel that way or why you don't have uh, any energy or X, Y, and Z. Um, just some food for thought on that. But yeah, I don't, I don't have anything against element per se. You know, I just, I think the, the, uh, the general public has been bombarded with information about it and every popular podcast you listen to, it's like, oh, I take Element and it's really good for your brain and it's a pick-me-up and, uh, you know, we should be having more salt and we have adrenal fatigue and like all these big buzzwords. Like, man, it's just, uh, it's not something that I think most people should be directing their attention to uh, at least at first, okay? Again, it could be part of the conversation and it could be part of your routine for sure, but I just don't think that's a starting point by any means, Okay. Cool. Last question I have here is, is homemade banana bread a good breakfast? <sighs> of course, my answer is going to be, it depends on this, right? Um, what is the definition of a good quote unquote breakfast, right? And in that, that sentence there, that the way that that was phrased to me makes me want to have a few different responses to this person to just dive a little bit deeper. And what do you like, what's your definition of a good breakfast? Like what, what are you talking about? Does, are there a, like a good, bad food mindset that you have, right? Is it, are things always in black and white for you? Right? Cause again, we have to appreciate the fact that there's a gray area that a lot of this stuff exists in. And, and it's not like this, you know, good or bad, like uh, on and off switch, man, our health, our fitness, it's, it's a dimmer switch, right? And there's times where we can crank it up, we can crank it down, but it's all going to be dependent on your goals and what's important to you and what you're using these things for. So when I say it depends, you know, is this, is this something where, hey, you have your homemade banana bread and then you're going directly to the gym or a group workout class or you're going to go on like a run or something and you need some like readily available carbs and some energy right before you go into there. Hell yeah. I think that could be great. I really do. Um, 
But if we're asking like, hey, you know, maybe I'm going to school after this or maybe I'm, I'm uh, hammering some banana bread on my way to work and then I don't eat lunch until noon or one, uh, chances are probably not going to be the best uh, case scenario or, or the best thing that we could do for ourselves. Um, eating just banana bread alone, just mostly a carb, like there's going to be some fat or if you put some butter on it, whatever you have with it, man, it's just not going to take you very far. Like you're going to, you're going to burn through that likely within the first 30 minutes, an hour, and you will probably feel hungry not too long after that, if that's the only thing that you're eating. Okay. So personally, I'd recommend you add a protein source and a fiber source to that banana bread. If that's something that, um, you want to keep and you want to build around, I'd love that, you know, protein source coming from like a cup of yogurt, or maybe do um, a protein shake or a smoothie with some berries in it. Right. Um, maybe we, we, uh, add some eggs or we have some hard boiled eggs that we're taking on the go. If this is something that you're looking to just be quick and convenient, um, getting a protein source in will be a great idea for a lot of things. One, to help you hit your protein goal for the end of the day, but it's just going to, um, help you stay fuller for longer. And that's something that could be a real benefit when, you know, uh, we proceed throughout our morning if you're choosing to have breakfast. Um, again, bringing it back to like, I'd add a fiber to that as well. Something that's going to add more volume, going to add more nutrients, uh, going to keep you fuller for a little bit longer. Anything like berries, uh, you know, bananas are always lit, but you're having banana bread, banana and banana bread might be redundant, but whatever, if you'd like to do that, do your thing. Um, Maybe it's some cuties or an orange or even a fucking apple if you're carrying something on the go. Like any type of fruit with that could be a great, you know, a great addition to that as well. But I would just, uh, I would keep that in mind, uh, you know, as you continue to, to build breakfasts and, and build a plate that you feel good with that keeps you full and satiated throughout the morning, okay? So we always got to come back to like, like uh, it depends, what are you doing, uh, these things for like, what, what does good mean to you? What are, what are you doing after eating some of these things? Cause that's gonna, of course, like everything, uh, lead to a different answer for most people. So keep that in mind. I'll keep that answer short there. Thank you again to everybody who, uh, asked questions on my Q and a, again, I, I say this a lot, but I have fun doing that. I appreciate that. This is the reason that I do this shit for is you guys seriously. So, um, don't be shy. Don't be a stranger. If you haven't already, um, I'm going to throw it out there. I rarely do this and I should do it more often, but if you haven't already and you listen to my podcast, you've listened to one or you've listened to all of them and I've, I've added any value or information to your life, it would mean the world to me if you dropped a review or a five star um, or whatever you think I deserve, quite frankly, um, five stars, I'm encouraging more, but man, if, if you found any value, if you listen or you tune in, we can call that even if you give me a five star or rate me on whatever platform it is that you're you're listening to. It really means the world to me. I'm, um, you know, the more I've done this, the more I've, you know, dived into the analytics of some of these things and like the reviews, the ratings, all of those help a lot. You know, and they mean a lot to me. They don't feed my ego by any means, maybe a little bit, but they uh, they help the algorithm. They help reach more people. It maybe helps me look a little bit more credible and, and something that people would tune into if they're looking at my stuff for the first time. So please, if you're uh, sitting here and if you've listened to me for one or 10 episodes or more, it'd mean the world to me if you left a review or if you just at the very minimum left a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you listen to your podcast. So I'll leave it at that. Um, I appreciate you listening. And as always, remember to eat with a purpose, train with intention, and think with confidence as you work towards your own nutrition and fitness goals. I'll see you on the next episode. We'll talk soon. Peace. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me if you posted a screenshot to your social media. If you do, make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at LukeSmithRD. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.